We are in John 20 today. And Jesus is rising from the dead. Um, I'm going to, just for a little blurb to explain the three days thing. Because sometimes people are like, he died on Friday, he rose on Sunday. So that's like 48 hours. That's two days. How does that work? Well, the Jewish calendar started at sundown, whatever day it was. So, of course, the start of the day is going to change with the seasons. But at sundown is the start of the day. So Friday, the day that Christ died, started what we would consider Thursday night. So Thursday night, Friday begins... Jesus is in the garden. He's praying on Friday in the night, right? The day starts in the sunset. They have the trial. He's hung on the cross and he dies. That's day one. And then they say they wanted to take his body down because the Sabbath was about to begin and they didn't want the bodies to be up during the Sabbath. So they take his body down They embalm him with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. They put him in the tomb. They roll the door shut. And it's the end of day one. Okay? So then it's sunset that night. That whole next day, day two, nothing happens. There's no mention of it. We don't get any description. Nothing. So that would be all day what we would think of as Saturday. That's day two. Then the sun sets, and the Sabbath is over, but it's nighttime. And so that is day three. So Saturday night, the Sabbath, in, the Sabbath starts on Friday night at sundown. The Sabbath ends Saturday night at sundown. And so that's the third day. The third day begins at sunset Saturday night. Now, you would not want to go visit a dead body or touch a dead body or be around a dead body on the Sabbath because then that's going to make you unclean. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who embalmed Jesus, would have been unclean not only on the Sabbath, so they have to do a whole different special set of rules to get clean again, but also on Passover. So this is like... Um, this is like a hundred times being that nurse that works on Christmas, right? So you can't participate in Christmas stuff because you have to work. This is a hundred times that. You're, you're unclean. You're ceremonial unclean. You can't appear before God. You can't participate in any of his rituals. You're, I mean, it's like you can't come to church today. Sorry. You, you know, you got your hands all greasy working in the car yesterday. You're not allowed. Whatever. So... Mary wants to go to the tomb. It was customary for three days after a person died to go visit the tomb for three days. And they believed, the Jews believed that the person's spirit would hover around the room and be around in the tomb for three days. That's why it was such a big deal when Jesus goes to see Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Jesus waits three days, and then he goes. He didn't go directly to the tomb. He went to the edge of town because he knew nobody would be at the tomb anymore. 
they're only at the tomb for the first three days. And then after that, that person is completely gone. That's why Mary and Martha were at their homes. So Mary, different Mary, Mary Magdalene, Jesus has died. He's been buried. She knows where he's been buried. She can't go visit him on the Sabbath. She's, she may have been there when they, when they put him in the tomb. She probably wouldn't have been like around watching, but she could have been you know, knowing which garden it was, which tomb. So now, the Sabbath is over. The, the Passover Sabbath, they'd still be celebrating Passover for a week. But the Sabbath is over. She can go visit Jesus, but it's nighttime. And you don't go to the graveyard at nighttime. They even, I mean, today we got horror movies. Then they had superstitions and stories. And you just you stay away from the, the, uh, the graveyard at night. So she goes as soon as she can. And that's why it's the morning of the, first day, the third day. Because the third day started the night before at sunset. So that's, that's where we get the three days. First day of the week. It's the first day of the week because the Sabbath ended. And now day one is Sunday. It starts over again. Saturday night. First day of the week. This is uh, John chapter 20 verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The, the night in Roman terms was broken up into four parts. And you had the first part, the middle of the night part, the super dark middle of the night part, which would be like about one o'clock in the morning till about three or four. And then you had the last part of the morning which was about an hour before sunrise and on in through sunrise. And the word that they use here is the one for about an hour or two before sunrise on into sunrise. So she's still there in the dark, but she's there in the dark and the sky is glowing like the sun is just about ready to come up. And the stone has been moved away from the tomb. She runs. As soon as she sees the tomb door being open, uh, she runs off. Typically, the way they would do this, you know, sometimes in Sunday school you see like this boulder or you see different things. They, they would have a groove in the ground and they would have a big flat rock that they would kind of slide down into that groove so it would stay in place. It was movable by people, but it was there to keep animals out. You didn't want... You didn't want critters getting in there, but it was movable by, it wasn't impossible to move. In another one of the Gospels, the women make a comment that it's not exactly going to be easy for them to move because they're like, who's going to move the stone for us? How are we going to get in there? So you might need a couple men. Uh, think of this as kind of like pallbearers. You, you need a couple guys. To move the, it's not impossible, but you need a couple guys to move this stone out of the way to do your business and then to move it back. Well, as soon as she sees it's gone, she leaves. She's not fooling around. That's, that's weird. Something's off. Something's not right. We're going to follow this. Mary Magdalene, well, 
I'll tell you in a little bit. I really like, I like how she, I like how John describes her experiencing all this. So she runs. She goes to Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they laid him. Isn't it wild? She doesn't say, I went to the tomb and the doors open. She immediately jumps to her only logical conclusion that she can come up with. If that door is open, somebody stole him. She, she went there. She had no idea that Jesus could have risen from the dead. That was completely, totally out of the realm of her understanding. You know how you see something? One night, we were driving by, we have a vacant lot down at the end of our block that we own and we garden on and hang out with our neighbors and stuff. And We drove by it at night, and I saw this thing, and I just could not figure out what it was. And I was just trying to, you know, you're driving in your car, so I'm not really giving it a whole lot of attention. And there was a guy sitting, that, right now we have this giant, like, 100-foot-long metal telephone pole sitting in our lot because they're redoing all the electrical lines. And there was a guy in the dark sitting on his phone. And the only thing you could see was his face lit up. Everything else was in pitch dark. And as soon as one of the kids said, it's a guy sitting on the pole looking at his phone. Bling! I, it was clear. I could totally see. Until then, I was like, is that a face floating in midair? Surely not, because that just can't be. Sometimes something happens and you, you don't even know how to explain what happened. You don't even know what, what, what is going on. You're trying to... She has no clue, no concept at all. She was right there at the foot of the cross. She saw Jesus hanging there. She watched Him die. She felt the earth shake. She may have even stuck around. Um, we know that she saw, she knew where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea buried him. So she was around for all this. The whole idea that he could be back from the dead it just is too much. So Peter, so Peter and John, they're sitting there, probably at, maybe at John's house. Maybe at Peter's house, maybe at a, we, we don't really, we don't know where they are at this point. Mary bursts in. They've taken his body. He's gone. They're like, what? They jump up. Peter went out to, and the other disciple, which we know is John. They're going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. John gives himself a little plug there. Outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooped looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, followed him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So, I think I've described this before. They would go into a door and there would be these uh, sections cut out of the walls where you would put 
the, the embalmed body. And then you would come back in a month and you would embalm it more. And then you would come back in another month and embalm it more. And all of this is making all of the, the flesh go away and then you just have bones. And then they would take all the bones and they would carry them back into an ossuary, which is this back room, and they would put all the bones back there. And then they would clean up the spot where the body was, and then it would be done. And all of that would take months. And then the next person to die in the family, you know, whenever, whenever you were getting ready to die or whenever somebody would die, you would ask your cousin, you would ask your uncle, hey, do you have room? And a family would have a tomb. And this family's tomb would be that family's tomb for generations and generations and generations. I can go, I can go out to St. Joe Cemetery and I can go back four generations. When my grandma died, you know, we took the kids out there and we were like, okay, so here's where they're burying grandma, your great-grandma, and here's her mom, and here's her mom, and here's her mom, and it's really a cool... So that's how they would have their family. You would have this tomb, and they would have you know, maybe four or maybe two beds, and then back here would be this just room, and um, archaeologists and excavators, they've found, they've found these that had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people back in there. Just really, it's a wild thing. So this is a brand new tomb. So Jesus is laid in a brand new tomb. So picture if you bought, you know, we, our washer broke this week. So we've been shopping for a washer. You buy a washer and you think, how long is this thing going to last us? Five years? Ten years? Right? And you scale how much you're going to pay for it based on how many years you're going to have it. You're like, you know what? I could pay $800 for a washer if it's going to last me ten years. Right? Because think about a tomb. A tomb that's going to be the room for you and your family and your kids and your grandkids, and your great-grandkids, and their cousins, and your crazy Uncle Willie, that's very, very expensive. That is a really, a brand new tomb is a big deal. And that's what they put Jesus in. So Joseph of Arimathea, it was his tomb. He bought this for his whole ongoing family. And he put him in there. Okay, that's a little bit of a sight. So, they walk in. John can see... This is my... This is it, right? Just go there with me. (laughs) He looks in, and he can see the linens. And Peter... It's kind of an honorable thing. John waited for Peter to go in first. It's kind of like, you know what? We all know that you denied that you knew him. We all know that you brought a curse on yourself. But John also knows that Jesus told him it was going to happen and said, after you're sifted like wheat, lead. And so John's like, okay, Peter, lead. I'm not going in there first. I'm going to let you go in first. So they go in, and the linens are folded up 
and the little face cloth is separate. And all the moms that do laundry say, Amen, Jesus folded his laundry. No. This is proof that his body wasn't stolen. So they immediately know this was not um, some kind of, of grave thief stealing something. You know, that happened then, it happens now, people trying to get gold or jewelry or whatever. Um, it could have, they, people could have also stolen it, and we read about this when we were reading about David and how Saul died, where they would take the body and, and show it off and make a mockery of it to bring shame to it. I mean, they're afraid of all the stuff. But all the linens that they wrapped him in yesterday are sitting there folded up nice and neat. And they're not in a heap. And John makes specific that the face, the, the, the thing that was over Jesus' head, uh, let's see, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Something has gone on here. Then the other disciple, they both go in, and it says, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. What did he believe? Very next verse. As yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So he believes that something is going on. He believes that he's not there. I don't think he believes that Jesus has been stolen, but I don't think he fully knows what's happened. There's a, a, a psalm, Psalm 16. Psalm 16 says, Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, my body dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to hell, or let your Holy One see decay. There is this idea that the chosen one of God wouldn't go to where all the dead people go under the earth and that his body wouldn't rot. His body would not decay. And that could have been the Old Testament scripture that they're thinking of. That, you know, okay, so maybe Jesus was like Elijah. Elijah, he, there's this whirlwind of fire and he was taken up bodily and his body went up to be with the Lord. And so maybe John and Peter are thinking, this is what's happened. We buried Jesus and now his body has been taken up to be with the Lord. But then they go back to their homes. Like I said, I don't know where they were before, but now they're at home. Go backwards a chapter. Who is at home with John? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because Jesus said, take this lady, take care of her. Here's your mother, here's your son. So at some point in this time, John's got to tell Mary what's happened. And remember at Christmas, Mary heard all of these things and says, stored them all up in her heart. We don't know. We have no idea. We got nothing. But you just got to think this is all real and it's all really happening. So those two guys go in there. They see it. They leave and go home. At some point, Mary Magdalene has come back. 
We don't know if she came back while they were downstairs in the tomb. We don't know if Mary Magdalene came back after they left. Mary Magdalene comes back. This is verse 11. She stands weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, so now it's getting more light. Right? That's the other. I mean, it was light enough that Peter and John could look in there and from the outside look in and see the linens. So it's, it's light enough. It might be full on daytime for all we know. She stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. When she looks in the tomb, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Okay, there's a whole bunch going on here. For one, Mary doesn't look in there and recognize that they're angels. She knows they're dressed in white, but uh, every other place in the Bible where somebody sees an angel, they fall on their face. So there's something about Mary that either she can't see it very well, or these guys are just dressed in white and they're not like on fire something that she doesn't get it that they're angels. It just doesn't dawn on her. The other cool thing is that they're lying at the head and the feet. And I I think we've talked about this before. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant would be a box and it would have two angels sitting on the top of it, guarding it and looking over it. And here we have where Jesus lay with two angels on it, sitting on it, looking over it. This is It's the Ark of the Covenant all over again. They say, why are you weeping? She says, they've taken away my Lord. She is stuck on this, isn't she? She's just, somebody took Jesus away, and all I saw was the door was open, but Jesus, somebody took Jesus away. Now there's two men that I don't know sitting where Jesus was, and they, I'm sad because they took him away. In her grief, in her hysteria, whatever, she's just not getting it. And it's just like, oh, come on, Mary. They've taken him away. I don't know where they've laid him. She might have thought, let's give her, okay, so let's do benefit of the doubt. Because I don't get stuff either, right? Stuff goes on, and I'm like clueless. She could, it could have been darker, and she could have thought it was Peter and John. In a minute, she's going to see a guy in the garden and she thinks he's the gardener. If this is a tomb, and if it is for a whole family, she might not know it's a brand new tomb. There could be other people expected to come and be there to tend to these other bodies that are doing things. So it wouldn't, it's not necessarily going to be a totally alone place. It wouldn't be odd to see other people there. I'm all giving her poor Mary the benefit of the doubt here. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, 
tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. So the gardener is not a high-class job. You basically live in the garden, or you live in a little shack near the garden, and you're kind of like the full-time bodyguard, the full-time tender of everything, and it was not a, a respected thing. So it wouldn't be strange at the crack of dawn to see the gardener right there in the garden. That, that's totally normal for her to see him there. I love the way this dialogue happens, though. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She said, if you've carried him away, she doesn't say. She doesn't say who she's looking for. She just jumps right to it. If you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. When God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, he went and he said, hey, where are you guys? And Adam said, here we are. And God said, what have you done? He gave them a chance to say what they had done because he knew they had done something. He knew something was not right. Even only on a relational level, he knew, hey, Adam and Eve don't hide from me. This is weird. But he knew everything, you know, right? Jesus knows everything that Mary he knows all of her answers. He gives her a chance. He gives her a chance to proclaim and to say, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? And she's, oh, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have. Where you've laid him. I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. <laughs> she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher or my master. She didn't know who he was till he called her name. And she recognized that. And there wasn't any hesitation in here. There was no, is that really you? She knew. Boom. As soon as he called her name. She turned and said to him, Master. She grabs onto him. Can you imagine? She's been, she's been up for hours. We'll say it one hour at least, probably more. She's been upset. They've stolen Jesus' body. Why would they? And you know how this, surely I'm not the only person. She's probably done like 75 scenarios in her head of why they stole his body, how they stole his body, where they stole his body, what time they stole it, right? You play through all that stuff in your head. And there he is. She falls to his feet. She's so glad to see him. And Jesus says one of the weirdest things he's ever said. Don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Don't hold on to me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. She doesn't get that. But Jesus says it. And it's worth camping out on for a minute. So when a king becomes a king, he's the king, but there's a point where he's not really the king. He has to ascend to his throne. And that doesn't mean he flies up in the air. That means he takes his position, right? I ascended to the role of blah, blah, blah. 
It doesn't mean I flew up in the air. It means I worked my way up to that spot. He has not yet gotten to his spot. He hasn't taken his awesome position of awesomeness. He's only risen from the dead. That position of awesomeness is yet to come, and it's going to happen. It's actually going to happen in about 40 days, which is kind of weird. Think about that. But now he's just risen from the dead. The other awesome thing is, he says, I am ascending. Don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending. It's happening. Guys, I told you I was the king. I told you about the kingdom of heaven. I told you how it was coming. And you saw me die. I am ascending to my position. I am on my... This has not stopped me. I am ascending to my position as king. Because surely they all thought it's over, right? The whole kingdom of heaven thing isn't going to happen the way Jesus said because he died. Other awesome thing. Go to my brothers. At the Last Supper, he said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant isn't let in on his master's plans, his master's business. So you work for somebody, and the boss knows the master plan of everything they're going to do, and you don't. Because you're not the boss's friend. I, 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 have, I have friends that were friends of my boss in my old job. And there were times that I would talk to them and I would find out they knew things about my career future that I didn't know because my boss was my boss and I was the employee and it wasn't in the relationship to tell me about it. But the boss talked to his friends. So Jesus says, you're my friends because I'm letting you in on it. And then... He dies for their sins. He raises from the dead. And now he calls them brothers. If you want to spend like 20 minutes crying, Google or uh, go to YouTube and look up adoption announcement videos. And it's all these kids, the parents of foster parents telling the kids that they're going to adopt them. And it's just beautiful and you will just cry your face off. The adoption has happened. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is in bodily form. He's walking around. He's he's not a ghost because Mary can grab him and cry on him and his feet get wet. The adoption has happened. And now he says, go tell my brothers. He doesn't say go tell your brothers. Like you're all some happy kumbaya family of a church now. Go tell my brothers. I'm the firstborn of creation. And go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. My God and your God. You know, in the the prayer that our father, right? There are theories of uh, archaeologists and, and linguistics and uh, Bible translators that, you know, it's 
just about every translation. It's our Father in heaven. And there are theories, and it's pretty good, that Jesus used Abba, which is like Daddy, which is this real affectionate. But the Bible translators had so much trouble translating, addressing God as Dada. You have to formalize this some that they translate it as the Greek word for father. Father. My dad and your dad. I am ascending to my dad and your dad, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene. Yes! All right. So now if you're following the story arc of Mary, this is where you cheer. She went and announced to the disciples. Why? Because she knows what has happened now. She didn't know what was happening. She went to mourn and mourn over Jesus' body and maybe embalm him some more with spices and stuff. He's gone. They took him. She's totally sold out to this. They took him. They took him. They took him. She tells the angels, they took him. The angels know better. Now she's coming back. She's running. Announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Mary knows more than anybody on earth at this point about Jesus, right? There's something to be said about I mean, we go on, she was not afraid to go out in the early morning. She was not afraid to, Gardner, where'd you put him? Like, I've always read this as her being sad, but this week when I was reading through this, I read it as her being mad. Tell me where you put him. Whoa, what if, right? Go tell my brothers. So she goes and she tells everybody. She tells them all what's going on. It says in other Gospels, nobody knew whether they could believe her or not. The thing that totally makes me believe the Bible and really increases my trust in the Bible, um, this happens in our house, when the kids get in trouble and they're trying to dupe you into what really happened, their stories are super detailed. And they... I mean, it is like a spotless alibi. And there is not a single unknown thing in which room were they were in. And he said this, and then I said this, and then he said that. And then he punched me right here, just like this. And so I, and you get all this detail, right? We've been playing this game, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, where you're all trying to figure out who the werewolf is. And it's teaching them how to lie and bluff. And it was kind of hard to explain to them that that was okay in the context of this game. Levi is the best. He has all these details about what happened. And he will tell you. What makes me really excited that the Bible is true is that this, this story, there's a ton of details left out that it's not seamless. Like if I told you some, I mean, we have this in trials, right? When, when a court case happens, they and they're trying to piece together what really happened, there's all kinds of missing things because this person doesn't remember and these people don't know and they can't figure this out and they can't prove that. And that's just how the Gospel of John reads. Like, what in the world, Mary? You didn't know who this was? You didn't know who was happening? 
Why are we, I mean, there's all kinds of details we don't have. And that really helps me. This last stretch, it gets even weirder. They all go, and they're locked in a room. It was customary to mourn for a week. But Passover is a week-long celebration. So their whole week of Passover is mourning. Plus, they're all afraid they're going to die. So they're in this locked room, and all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room. Wow! You know, what would that reaction be? And remember, these guys, these are not um, like solemn, self-controlled Sunday school dudes. These are fishermen, tax collectors. Um, they're, they're rough. And most of them are like older teenagers. So they all talk too loud. And they're all just a little sensational. And there's Jesus. Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus, so they, they get it and they see it and they recognize him. And he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus shows up. Shows off how victoriously alive he is. One of the Gospels, it says he asks for some food. You guys got any fish? And they give him some and he eats it to just prove to them that he's not a ghost. Which is hilarious. Like, there's, multi, there's at least two accounts of Jesus coming back from the dead and eating fish. But then he says to them, after showing them his scars... He says, just like I was sent, the Father sent me, I am sending you. Guys, from here on, you are going to do everything I did. You guys are going to go out just like the Father sent me and I died and I rose from the dead. I am sending you out and I'm sending most of you to your death. But I'll raise you from the dead. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is why Mary can't cling to Him. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. And He can be there where you can see Him. And He can, he can smack you upside the head. And He can be a human. But God wanted to make a way, dying for our sins, that the Holy Spirit would come, that He could be in every single one of us all at the same time. And so that is his commission to them. There's a whole lot of other stuff he does after he raises from the dead. We're going to keep talking about that over the next couple weeks. But his message that day on the first Easter Sunday, raising from the dead, was, you're my brothers. My father is your father. And just like I was sent by him I am sending you. Let's go and let's do this. I'm sending you out. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. I was talking to a guy one day and I was asking him questions. It was uh, Trey McLean. You guys know Trey McLean? I was like, does this mean we cannot forgive people? 
And Trey said a really smart thing. He said, I think it's about authority. If anybody's going to know what the church is, it's going to be from the church. And so he's given us this authority to explain and to teach just like Jesus did. God sent Jesus. Jesus taught what are sins and that they're forgiven. That there even is... A lot of people don't even know that there's forgiveness of sins. And, um, and so we receive the Holy Spirit and we get that commission to go and be sent out just like Jesus was sent out by the Father. Jesus is sending us.